Hi, this is Debbie Q, and you're listening to The Right Shoe. The Right Shoe is a podcast about all things strange and unusual, especially when it references a death, a strange and unusual death. And there is a lot of strange and unusual deaths I have been noticing as of late. I usually try to do them from Philadelphia, but I found so many good ones that I've been mixing them lately. Also, before we get started, I want you to listen to this from a friend of mine. Hi, my name is Gisela Kay, and I'm the host of the Grizzly Books podcast. Each season of the podcast focuses on one specific serial killer at a time, which means that it's highly detail-orientated. You're getting five or more hours worth of content about one serial killer, and it's based on the ebook that I've written about them. Season one, for example, is all about Jeffrey Dahmer, and season two will be about Ted Bundy. So tune in, find me, Grizzly Books podcast, on almost all listening platforms now. She is the best. And her podcast is Grizzly Books. You can find her on Instagram and all major podcasting platforms. Now we shall go on with the rest of The Right Shoe. This is going to be a shorter one than normal. As I'm trying to retool The Right Shoe, I like sound effects. I'm big with sound effects. And I don't have any sound effects except the motorcycles that drive by every second outside the house. I'm trying to incorporate that and a whole bunch of things. Also taking a mini vacation. I'm trying to do a mini podcast because I didn't want it to go too long without a new episode. And I noticed that all of my episodes have literally almost the same exact number of listens. It's... I totally love that. They almost have the same continuous number. I do like to delve deep into episodes. I really have trouble with not telling every little thing that I find about a case, but I'm still going to try a little short. This is going to be the first one that's not as long as the others, just to see if it does as well. If not, I'll scrap it. If it does, I'll put it in, in the middle, you know, just as like once in a while, because some people like longer podcasts, some people like shorter ones, and it would be beneficial to me as well, because then the bigger cases I can spend more time on. So this case is going to be about a guy named Mel Ignato. His very name sends shivers down my back because he is so not only gruesome, but irritatingly cocky. Now, there was a book written called Double Jeopardy, which really, that is the perfect title for that book. It was written by a journalist named Bob Hill. It's a great book if you can get a hold of it. I don't think it's in print any longer. And it's a shame. I've noticed that a lot of true crime books that I enjoyed in the 80s and 90s, they don't make them anymore really good ones like Evidence of Love or the case that I just did about Cindy James. It's it's very difficult. You can't even find it on a Kindle or anything. And that is a, that case is still blowing my brain, but it's, you can't find it book wise. And I am a massive reader. That's why I've been doing that monthly book giveaway. The next couple months I'm going to do my own pick because there were several people that who I adore, uh, the Grizzly Books owner being one of them. And I wanted to do like fabulous female for a couple months, not to 
downplay the men, listeners. I just, you know, it's it's tough being a woman out there. So let's get on to male ignito because this is supposed to be a short. Okay, now male ignito. He was born in 1938, and he was going out with Brenda Schaefer. Now, Brenda Schaefer was significantly younger than him. She preferred men, as somebody said, older with big wallets. Now, I didn't think that was an insult, as Brenda Schaefer was adored by her employers, by everybody that knew her. Her employer said she was the best employee that they ever had. She took care of her mother who had lupus. She was an all-around good girl, great friend, very pretty. She did look like somebody had compared it to Marlo Thomas, who was an actress from back in the day. And Marlo Thomas was beautiful. And Brenda Schaefer was beautiful as well. She she really was a beautiful woman. You can see it in pictures that her and Mel, they did look actually cute in a few of the earlier pictures I had seen, but man, he did not age well. And I, I really think that when you're ugly inside, it, it comes out because I've known people that were such good-hearted people that they truly were beautiful or it just radiated on their face where people who are mean or hateful, they were ugly or became ugly. I really do believe that what you are inside, if not at first, eventually it does come out on the outside. So Mel was one of those ugly people and Brenda was one of those beautiful people. And also, I mean, think about it. She was making like seven fifty an hour and he was coming on to her. Some guys do have that gift of, you know, being able to woo someone. And he gave her a 2.5 carat diamond ring. I'm sorry, but there's not too many women who would not be at least complimented by that. So she said yes. But very quickly after this happened, he started physically abusing her. Plus, she told an older boyfriend that she was actually seeing behind Mel's back towards the end that she was breaking up with him because not only was he physically abusive, but he was just like he creeped her out. You know, telling it, even the investigators that met him just said he was cringe, you know, all over. So she was going to break up with him. And instead of just taking it like a man and moving on, Mel decides that he's going to kill her. He enlists the help of this woman named Marianne Shore, who was a previous girlfriend of his. Now, Marianne Shore, I am not talking badly or saying any, she just did not hold a candle to Brenda Schaefer. Brenda was like a beautiful, classy looking lady. And she was classy from all accounts, appearances, and what everyone said about her. Where Marianne Shore, I just think that she was one of the ex-girlfriends of Mel's who he had broken up with. And she just was maybe jealous or mad. And I still can't believe she did this, but she agreed to help him. And they literally built a scream house, or they didn't build the scream house. They tested out Marianne Shore's house. They would scream as loud as they could and see if any of the neighbors heard them. They were testing out the house to see if they could torture Schaefer in this house without anybody hearing. So they were practicing. 
I mean, this was no joke. I cannot even imagine. Uh, uh, people are sick. So he also dug a hole outside of her house. One day, she was supposed to bring jewelry to Mel. After they had broken up, he wanted the engagement ring back, everything. Now, this is, I get a little confused because I've I've read several different accounts. I don't know if, I, I okay, when the last night that she was alive, it was in September 23rd, or seen alive was September 23rd, 1988. Now, I'm not sure if she went to the, went to meet with Marianne Shore before and he kind of suggested a threesome and she turned it down and left like in a huff or if the night that she was to return the jewelry he suggested the threesome that part it's kind of blends when they talk about it but I do know that these sick advances that he, he was doing to her she finally came over one night and he put a gun to her head and he said you went you're not going anywhere so she disappeared. There was just one night when her dad said she told him that she was going to break up with Mel and give him back the jewelry. They didn't see her anymore. Now, as soon as they called the police, as soon as there was a, a detective named Jim Wesley, he was in charge of violent crimes. He said as soon as the dad told him the story, as soon as he met with Mel, he knew it was not good. They found her 86 Buick Regal with a flat tire and a busted window on I-64 in Louisville, Kentucky. They, The detective said, I just knew right away, especially after meeting Mel. He was not only being skeevy, but when Jim Wesley interviewed him, he was being, oh, hey, Jim, like they were best friends. And he said, he wasn't a friend of mine. And I knew right away he had done something bad. So he also enlists the help of the FBI, and there's a guy named Roy Hazelwood who became pretty obsessed with getting Mel. And when they talk about his cockiness and the fact that, you know, they kind of knew that he did something to Brenda, it reminds me of that cop, Drew Peterson. I, I am sure crime enthusiasts know Drew Peterson. He was the cop who... I think there was, I I believe there was four women he potentially killed, but they didn't start realizing it until the last one. She was real young. I I believe her name was Stacy. That was Drew Peterson. And that's, that's who Mel Ignato reminds me of. They were very much the same way in how they acted and the things that they did. Uh, Hazelwood said, you know, I knew that he was a sexual sadist which is somebody who enjoys the pain, like severe pain. I know there's people that enjoy bondage and things like that, or not that kind of stuff. I'm talking about severe, like, you know, stabbing the person, slicing off parts of their body, and why they sexually get off on that. Most serial killers are sexual sadists, like Ted Bundy. You know, they have that, they want that gratification of torturing someone sexually and it just gets them off it's so disturbing so anyway so they all get together there's u.s attorney scott cox and they get this plan together because they knew he was a cocky mofo and they were like let's get him into a federal grand jury maybe you know something will slip so he goes into this federal grand jury and he's interviewed and and they you know feds are a little different than your standard 
court system because not only do they not like to lose, their jail times, their punishments, and their thresholds are significantly different. It just seems like when you're in court state-wise, the rules are different and you can get away with more. So they get him into a federal grand jury system and Marianne Shore is called. Now she's the one who really screwed up, fortunately, because they they called it, and in most of the things I read, they called it a real Perry Mason moment. They asked Marianne Shore about Brenda Schaefer and what did she look like, and she had all said she only met her one time. When they asked her to describe how she looked, Marianne said, do you mean the last time I saw her? So they that there was that inconsistency. You only met her once, and then you're saying, what do you mean the last time I saw her? She literally got up out of her chair and ran out of the room. No joke. So they were like, well, this has failed miserably. You are going to trial. But then they had the other hurdle of convicting him. Now, a lot of DAs, for this very reason and how the story goes, this is why they they really want, like some people say, well, why won't you try this guy yet? This guy confessed or we have somebody who saw this. And the reason is because of this exactly. If you don't have everything you can get for someone there's a chance that they can go free. And and the chance that they can go free is what stops DAs from taking more people to trial than they should. There's a lot of times that people have to wait because it, it really sucks if you spend all this time, money, and effort, and then they get let go because they, the jury found a reasonable doubt. There were several reasons this trial did not go the way they wanted it to. One of the reasons was they did get to Marianne Shore because she had run out of the room and they said, look, you're going to wear a wire and you're going to tape him confessing. Now, the wire was, I don't know if she did this on purpose or if it was just, I don't know. The the wire was horrible. The jury, it was so muffled, the sound. The jury... They, there was one thing that they couldn't distinguish that always kind of baffled me. They were talking about the grave site that they had built to dump Brenda Schaefer's body in. And the jury said they could they, they thought he was talking about a safe that he buried. This is what they claimed. They, they couldn't understand it. And they thought he buried a safe. Also, they had moved, this had happened in Louisville, Kentucky, and they had moved it 90 miles away to Kenton County. They said there wasn't as much, you know, when when you have like a, a case that's all the rage and everyone knows it, like with Scott Peterson, when he killed Lacey Peterson, it was in the same county as where he had killed her. People wanted blood. There was no doubt he was going to get convicted. Well, here they moved it. And that was actually good for the defense because between the moving to Kenton County, the wiretaping being muffled, and Marianne Shore's actions, they said she was disrespectful. She wore very inappropriate clothing, like short mini skirts or very low cut blouses. And she would giggle. When people were asking her about the most grotesque actions of allegedly Mel when he killed Brenda, 
that the jury was like, we think Mary Ann killed her. And this was put in their heads by the defense, which apparently did a pretty damn good job of getting them to acquit Mel. He was acquitted of all charges, even though everybody in the courtroom, except for, unfortunately, the jury knew that he had done this horrible crime. He was acquitted. I I don't find the jury at fault here. I mean, hey, the defense, you know, what are you going to do? You don't know how a jury feels when they're going to deliberate. And they're only given what is put forth. If they couldn't understand the tape, you know, that was, that's a bummer, man. It really is. The judge was so embarrassed by what happened that he made this unusual attempt to try to harshen the blow, which I know that's next to impossible with something like this. But he wrote this lengthy apology letter to this family, you know, apologizing, saying, like, we know he's guilty and we are so sorry. So that at this point, Roy Hazelwood and Jim Wesley are like, just their heads are about to explode. They they want to get this guy. And he, oh, when he walked out of that courtroom, that face, it's so aggravating. It irritates me. And I was not an investigator on this case. I, I would go crazy. I don't think I could do that part for a living. I go through these crimes and talk about them, but I don't think I could go to, I think I would go crazy if that happened. I, I literally would. So regardless some time goes by, Mel could not pay for his defense fees, so they had to sell the house. Now, a carpenter goes in, and he's ripping up the carpet. He he had to sell, you know, for the legal fees, his house was sold. So he's ripping up the carpet, and what does he find but a camera? What is on this camera? 190 pictures. It was a 35-millimeter camera of the torture and death of Brenda Schaefer. They had, there was no mistake of Mel's guilt and involvement. They said there was moles, there was the way his body hair, everything. Although his face might have not been clearly shown in the pictures, everything else was. And there was no doubt that he was guilty, guilty, guilty. So it's a shame they didn't find these earlier. In the mix, they had found Brenda's jewelry. So I guess whenever she had come with the jewelry, they had taken the jewelry and the pictures and buried them. I don't know why he didn't take them with him. I don't know. Maybe he even forgot because he seemed so full of himself. So Roy Hazleton said, you know what? Let's get him on the perjury charge because he obviously lied during the grand jury testimony. So we'll get him on that. Unfortunately, perjury charge isn't the same as a murder charge and you're not going to get life. They could only give him eight years of which he did five. That sucks, but lately, you know, our own homicide rate in Philadelphia has been very high. And because of all, you know, COVID and everything else going on right now, they, they, they're given murderers seven years. I, I can't even imagine being a victim or anything else. It's, it's Philly's second to only Chicago right now for murders this year. So that's, you know, it's bad. Okay, so I read the book and I gave you the basics of the case. And I mean, it, they're really, this kind of thing you could, if you want to read further, Double Jeopardy by Bob Hill. Excellent, excellent book. 
Uh, but it, it basically just says that. And I read this book. I think it was, I remember my friend had given it to me. And I remember I was in the, I was living in an old creepy house at this time. I, that book creeped me out. I remember sitting there one night and my husband wasn't home and I was really getting freaked out. I, I, it was not a great neighborhood that we had lived in. And I just thought, Oh my God, what if someone kills me and he gets, you know, they can't try them. You don't even know. It was weird. So, okay. So regardless, I'm reading this and I'm like furious, like the investigators thinking, oh my God, this guy got away with it. So I, that always pissed me off. And I always thought about this guy. I always remembered him. And I thought, my God, that, that they must really just piss them off. And then 2008 came. And that was a beautiful year for this story because karma came. And I will tell you something about karma. It is real. I know that it is slow and sometimes it doesn't come as quickly as you would like, but it is true and it comes. Believe me, it does. I cannot think of too many instances where I got really ticked by something somebody did And then I watched and karma came and it does, it works. And it, this is karma. When they were torturing Brenda Schaefer, he finally killed her with chloroform, which I didn't even know. I thought that just knocked you out. I didn't realize that you could literally hold it over someone's face and kill them with it. I I never knew that it causes respiratory failure. So she was tied to a glass table while they were killing her. Well, good old Malignito gets out of jail after his eight-year sentence, of which he did five, and he was 70 years old at this time. There was a guy that lived near him, and his name was Anthony Allen. He was his neighbor. He said that he lived in the same complex as Mr. Ignato. And he could hear Mel screaming out in the middle of the night, please take me, please kill me, because he was in so much pain just being old. I guess he got some form of cancer or maybe he had arthritis. I just know he was in pain in the the latter years of his free life. And he was screaming out. The karma point is he got up and fell into his glass coffee table. A bit of glass either cut his neck or his arm. They're not sure which happened first because when they came in after they heard all this banging around and Anthony Allen must have called the police to say something's going on, he had apparently got up, fell, got cut, started swimming around in his own blood fell all over the kitchen. He fell in almost every room in that place, trying to get to a phone possibly. And he died a slow, painful, horrible death, which could not please me more. I mean, I'm sorry. I do not wish that kind of thing. God, forgive me for saying that. And yet he deserved it. And that was his karma. Apparently he bled to death. That was how he died. And it's just ironic that it was from a glass table of which he tied Brenda Schaefer to. Even though it happened eight years after the fact, when I read that, I remember when it came through. The internet wasn't too, too big yet. You still had to really use your laptop. The phones weren't 
you know, the thing, you know, and now I get phone alerts for everything. But at the time, I remember I was on the, the computer in this creaky old house. And I was like, oh, my God, he finally got it. You know, so that was the story of Mel Ignato. It was that was the short. Um, but it ends happily for me. It it means that what he did to that poor woman, I don't know what happened to Marianne Shore. I mean, come on. I just cannot even imagine why. Why would you help somebody like that? It's, that's sick. It's very upsetting to know that not only are there people like that out there, but then there's women or men who will help these sadistic nuts and get off on it too. I, I don't get that. I don't understand that. I I love making people happy. I cannot see loving somebody, especially like that, unless you're Mel Ignato. So that was the story. Again, I have some very cool episodes coming up. Next is going to be Byberry. That's bringing it back to Philly. And Byberry was the state mental facility that in the beginning was going to be the latest and the greatest of mental care. And it turned out being the ultimate worldwide joke in mental care. Uh, I have a guest. Her name is Carolyn Kingins. And she is a fantastic writer. She's, her poetry is amazing. She, I interview her. I also will have a link to Before the Big Bang Makes a Sound. That's her book of poetry. Also, after that, it's Mayhem. Now, Mayhem, a lot of people know because, well, his, his real name was Pell, but his stage name was Dead and he committed suicide in 1993. Now, the singer who came after him, his name Attila. I interview Attila. Also, I'm going to kind of retool the right shoe. So this is Debbie Q and you're listening to the right shoe. If you need anything, the right shoe podcast.com. Instagram is shopaholicdev44 and Twitter at bookshotworm1.